0: Okay, we're recording? Yes. Fantastic. Okay. Welcome to Moot, the podcast where our point is moot. This is gonna be episode seven, right? Yes. And uh yeah. Yeah, today we just want to discuss like old world shit. Kind of like um yeah, Mesopotamia and Sumeria, and especially the epic of Gilgamesh, which is a story I really, really like. Um and uh Yeah, yeah, Jeremy looked up how uh how the tablets were found. Do you want to tell, tell us about that?
1: Yeah, um, I actually had not read Gilgamesh before you brought it up to me last week and it's a great story. Um, but the, how they were found was even more incredible because a lot of these ancient texts, we've known about them for you know thousands of years and we've had a lot of time with like the Iliad and the Odyssey to for scholars to read them and to translate them and to discern meaning. But Gilgamesh is Pretty new, um, despite also being simultaneously very old. So, these tablets were created. There were twelve. Well, I should back up. There were a lot of tablets created about Gilgamesh because he's been known since the times that Genesis describes in the Bible. I mean, before. Yeah. I mean,
0: Gilgamesh is like um, he's like the first great human hero. Yeah, it's like the first great hero character that uh, we thought up, as far as we know.
1: And his story is is both simultaneously epic but super personal, which I, I found super interesting.
0: Yeah, you wouldn't have thought so. Like the old tales, you would you really wouldn't have thought that there would be so much like kind of like personal depth to them, you know? Yeah, you wouldn't have thought there would be. Uh, you kind of kind of wouldn't expected them to have kind of a more simplistic way to look at. Uh, look at the human condition, kind of like the Greeks, you know, they, like they have personal his, his stories and stuff, but it's never really that deep. It, I mean, they tell kind of like a, a grander archetypal story, where the character's inner life is not as important. It's just either he's sad or angry, or this and this and that because of this and this and that. It is not so much you go into the depth of the person's motivations.
1: I feel right. Like, if, if Achilles a more
0: new, newer thing.
1: With with the character like Achilles, like you can
0: analyze Achilles. Right, you, you can. can analyze Achilles like proper properly, right? But it's not really going that much uh, into into details about his thoughts and feelings on, on stuff. You know, he's he's kind of a like not one dimensional, but kind of a two dimensional character. You know what I mean?
1: Right, he's he's angry. That's mostly what you know about Achilles. Yeah. He's an angry person. And he's an
0: angry guy who's really good at being angry. Right. And yeah, he's made a career out of it.
1: His actions affect people on a, on a, in a massive scale, which makes him epic, but you don't get a lot of like his interpersonal, his thoughts or. His...
0: No, like how is this affecting him in his daily life? Like what, what was his relationship like with his wife, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, the, the anger that he was lashing out on his myrmidons. Um, uh, did that give him like some issues raising his kids or whatever, you know?
1: Right. Right. So yeah. They, um, I mean, the Epic of Gilgamesh was written, it, it was w- written way before, you know, a lot of the Greco Roman stuff, um, it, thousands of years ago. Um, so the, the the earliest tablets date back to 2100 BC. So we're talking, you know, 40, 4,100 years ago. And, it wasn't until about 1000 BC, and lots of iterations were written over this thousand year period. And in about 1000 BC, sometime between 1000 and 1300 BC, and I'm not gonna get this guy's name right, but um, Sinlecunini, he was this scholar who was, who collected tablets and he tried to order the story and rewrite the story in a way that made sense because even in his time, the story had become so fragmented that it was hard to keep track of things. So like the first 11 tablets are very much about uh, Gilgamesh and his relationship with Enkidu and death. And then the 12th tablet takes place in the underworld, which a lot of modern scholars think that this, this, you know, 1000 BC scholar had tacked on at the end to give it a more definite ending. But as far as we know, pieces of the story have been lost. And so nobody really knows what the real story is, which is kind of cool. And then um, the tab, those tablets were lost. And it wasn't until uh, 18, the early 1850s, that people started finding these, these tablets. And there was a guy named George Smith, he was a 14 year old uh, bank engraver who he, well, he, when, when he started, he was 14 when he started working at Bradbury and Evans and he would engrave these banknotes and he was fascinated with Assyrian culture. And so what he did was he would go to the local museum, he'd go to the British yeah. museum and he would study, he would read all these publications on cuneiform tablets uh, they had found these near Mosul uh, in, in Ira- Iraq. And uh, d- there were scholars trying to translate them. And the museum, he was so interested and he was so dedicated to his, his pursuits that the British Museum hired him. And they're, yeah, they're like, "Well, oh, he's great though.
0: What a great way right. to get a job. Being so <laughs> interested in something that people just hire you off it. Wouldn't that be great to be? Yeah, that's like not only do you get your hobby as a job, you know, but it's like the fact that you're so passionate about it is literally the reason they hired you.
1: Yeah, yeah, because and they know, they know that you're going to try a lot harder than everybody else, and and
0: yeah, like you would you would love that job to bits and pieces. Honestly, you would love that boss to bits and pieces.
1: Oh yeah, think of the loyalty. Yeah, um, yeah. so. This, this guy, uh, George Smith, decides to start trying to translate tablets himself. And he wound up on an archaeological expedition of his own. And this guy, this other guy named Samuel Birch, who was an Egyptologist, and he was the director of the Department of Antiquities, um, he, he got this third guy in, Sir Henry Rawlinson. And they started spending time actually cleaning these fragments and putting them in the museum storage rooms. And uh, that's when Smith started making discoveries by himself, just because he had accumulated so much knowledge as a hobbyist. Um, And that's when he started getting uh, funded to go to the Middle East and unearth new things and one of the big things that he unearthed was the oldest poem of all time that we know of at least which is the epic of which is the epic of gilgamesh so he started finding Mm -hmm. these columns that that uh the other guy I can't pronounce sin lakui unini had inscribed um and so now joe why don't you tell us what the story is about because you know more about this than i do
0: Okay. Okay. So I gotta I gotta take it from memory. Um, so yeah, Gilgamesh is epic, right? His story is basically he's this king of this ancient city called Uruk, right? And it's a, it's a great city, and he's uh, kind of a like a he's he's kind of like a heavy-handed king, you know? He's a he's a he's a brute by uh, all standards, right? Uh, but um, yeah, God. Yeah, so the gods basically they don't they don't like Gilgamesh, they don't like him, right? They feel like he's um, he's uh, too harsh, you know his his rule is too harsh, and also his city is, is kind of an affront, right? Yeah. Like who who does this guy think he is, right? So uh, they basically create a man called Enkidu, who is Gilgamesh's would be assassin. They create a man called Enkidu, place him in the forest somewhere. And he grows up in the woods, you know, and then he enters the city of Uruk and he um, seeks out Gilgamesh, the the priest-king, and challenges him to a duel. Um, And they basically, yeah, they they have a series of uh, tests of strength against each other and they fight. Uh, But Gilgamesh is uh, ultimately victorious. uh, Though it is a very even even match. So um, obviously Gilgamesh uh, is impressed by this man, and Enkidu is impressed by Gilgamesh too. And you know they've, that mutual respect uh, becomes the friendship. So Enkidu becomes like Gilgamesh is like a traveling companion. He becomes part of his uh, court, uh, as far as they had a court, you know. Yeah. And uh, they go on lots of adventures together. And I, and I, I don't remember any of the adventures because I don't remember the main story. But there's like a series of adventures they go on. Uh, in the end, the gods—they're uh, not very happy with Enkidu. Obviously, he was supposed to kill this man, right? He's—he's he's failed. He's uh, betrayed them. So um, the gods decide to kill Enkidu. So they make him sick, uh, and have their like own little assassination. I mean, you would wonder why they wouldn't do that to Gilgamesh since they wanted him dead. But hey, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe uh, you know they—they they made him so they can take him away easier. Uh, and anyway. Enkidu dies um, basically in the arms of Gilgamesh from this disease, and uh, Gilgamesh swears kind of vengeance upon the gods. Right? He wants uh, he wants to avenge uh, en- Enkidu's uh, murder, as he sees it. Yeah. But you can't really you can't really fight the gods, can you? You know, you, you're not gonna grab your sword and fight the horde of gods. You know, that's that's not happening. So what's the best way to enact vengeance on the gods? You deny them their due, you know. Sure, he's going to conquer death itself. He's going to become immortal. That's the ultimate vengeance. That's the how you can, you know. Spit in the faces of the gods. So he has to travel across the land, essentially, to uh, the end of all rivers, the mouth of all rivers, to find this man, uh, the flood hero, Utnapishtim, right? And uh, uh, he's he's. Utnapishtim and his wife is the only people in the world who have achieved immortality. And uh, Gilgamesh feels like, well, if I'm going to become immortal, this this is the place to go, right? Yeah. Yeah, I got to go f- find out the, how they did it.
1: Which, interestingly, so, they had an arc like no, They they allegedly... Oh, was- yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I'm getting to that. Um So, yeah, so Gilgamesh goes there, right? He meets uh, Utnapishtim and his wife. And he asks them, like, uh, okay, I need you to help me with immortality. How did you get immortal? So Utnapishtim tells the story, because he's called the flood hero for a reason. And uh, as you just said, like, it's because he's basically the original Noah from Noah's Ark. So Utnapishtim, there's a whole story uh, where he is... um, uh, the the yeah, the, the, big, the gods again, you know, they're plotting against mankind once more, uh, but this is long ago. And he's telling the story to Gilgamesh. Uh, and they're like, they have like a plan where they're going to wipe the world clean of life. They're like, uh, each God has like, they control the rivers, they control the thunder, they can st- control the rain, you know, and they're all going to work together to flood the world and kill all of the humans and all the animals except for the fish I suppose <laughs> so um, one of the gods I'm not sure which one I think it was like Ia or Enka or something like that uh, decides that this is insane right this is crazy uh, so uh, he or she leaks the, the kind of the plot the scheme to Utnapishtim through some reeves next to his house so it's like a, it's almost like a dream enters his mind right And he realizes, oh shit, the gods are after us. And um, uh, Utnapishtim starts building like a big boat, you know, like an ark. And he gets all the people he can save on it. He gets all instead of Noah, who only got his family, you know, because you know incest is with incest for Noah. But Utnapishtim (laughs) is a little more clever. He's bringing all the people he can. He's bringing all the animals he can, and he's just uh, filling that boat up to, to save the people, right? Yeah. Uh, and the gods, they go through with their evil plan. They flood the world. Luckily, they're all in the boat, right? So they're all you know, the well, not all of them, but <laughs> the people who made it. They're in the boat. And uh, the gods, they're not happy with this. So they, they, they do a bunch of stuff. They try to flip the boat over and do all sorts of mean stuff to it. But he keeps getting kind of advice and help from this god throughout the whole ordeal. Until you know, all disasters have to end eventually. So he, um, you know, after after the waters start, like, lowering themselves again and everything is calming down a little, uh, Utnapishtim, who's still loyal to the gods, despite the dirty, dirty trick they just tried to pull on him, you know? He goes to, uh, uh, it's, uh, sometimes it's described as a mountain or a ziggurat, uh, basically goes to a temple area. And he sacrifices a lamb, and he burns all sorts of sweet incense and stuff into a fire as a a sacrifice, an offering to the gods, you know, to show his respect. Even after they, you know, just just try to fuck him over, right? (laughs) So uh, the gods, they obviously flock to this sweet smell of the sacrifice, like insects to honey, right? (laughs) And they feel this tremendous amount of shame they start arguing with, e- with each other about like whose shitty idea this was and everything you know <laughs> and uh, then they start blaming uh, the god who helped utnapishtim but the god still denies that like no 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 i wasn't i didn't do anything cuz you know you still can't fuck with the gods <laughs> and in the end they all kind of like calm down after the, the whole argument and they just look at utnapishtim and his and his wife and just says that um you know, you, you you were wiser than us, basically. You know, you you you're 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 better than us, and uh, you should be one of us. And after they can't make him a god, so instead they give him and his wife immortality and move uh, move them. They transport them basically to the, the mouth of all rivers. So that's a you know a fabulous way to get uh, immortality. And Utnapishtim tells Gilgamesh the story. And Gilgamesh is like, kind of like, well, that's not going to happen for me. The gods want me dead. You know, they're not going to do this for me. Come on, tell me, tell me. You got to help me here. You know. And he just keeps kind of nagging him on the issue, and it, eventually, Napishtim goes like, "Okay, okay, okay. If you can stay awake for six days and seven nights, uh, I'm going to try and help you out there." Okay. And uh, Gilgamesh is like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I can do that." And uh, then uh, the wife says that she's going to make uh she's going to make bread uh every day that uh, Gilgamesh is able to stay awake so that he can like look at all the bread at the end of the whole thing and kind of like be like okay this is like uh like a calendar like a calendar for people who didn't invent the calendar yeah they use bread uh, as a way to track dates apparently <laughs> uh so You know, first night, Gilgamesh is all hyped up. He's going to, you know, stay awake all night. He's going to stay awake many nights. But he doesn't. He falls asleep almost immediately. First night, you know. He just failed right then and there. The wife didn't bake a single loaf of bread. And uh, obviously, Utnapishtim, pretty smug about it, right? As he would be. And uh, Gilgamesh is like, still protesting. Like, no, 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 you're still going to help me. And Utnapishtim is like, well if you can't conquer sleep, how on earth are you going to conquer death? Because, you know, in the old mindset of humans, like sleep is basically like death light, you know? Yeah. And uh, Gilead doesn't stop there, you know? He's, he's a very, very petulant, this guy. Uh, and eventually, Utnapishtim is like, okay, okay, there's one thing I can do. There's one thing I can do here. Uh, at the other side of the country or the world, you know, far away, there was a river. In the bottom of that river, there is a plant. That plant's magical. If you eat that, it's going to make you a teenager again. It's going to make you very young again. It You can use this to double your life. That's the best thing I can do for you. You know, take it or leave it. And Gilgamesh is like, okay, well, at least that doubles the time I have to search for my revenge, right? Yeah. So he uh, goes on an adventure to reach this river. Stuff happens. Uh. Gets to the river, dives into it Fishes out the plant And then he's like, wait, wait Pishtim Is basically in league with the gods What if this is a trick? What if this plant is poison? Right? Yeah. So he's like mm, 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 mm. Okay, okay, let's think about this Because, you know he's, he's, not, he's not dumb, this guy He's petulant, but he's not dumb So he knows that in, in his city The one he's king in there is an old man who's very sick and he could feed half of this plant to that man and see if it saves that man and makes him young again, because that's kind of like a, it's a win-win situation. Like the guy's already sick and old. He's going to die. If this is a poison, like no, no real harm done. Right. If it saves him, you know, then he's basically given two people a second chance one of them being himself, this is great, this is a good plan, right. Thinking this through. So he travels home, but you know, it's a long way. And he traveled to Utnapishtim, he traveled to the fucking other side of the world to get to the river, you know, it's not gonna, he's not getting there in a day. And they didn't have buses back then. So uh, he, he strikes up a camp, uh, he goes to bed in his sleeping bag and all that. And uh, you know, has sweet dreams about uh, how he's gonna, you know, avenge in keto. But there's a snake. There's always a snake <laughs> that uh, slinks into his camp and just slides into his bag and eats his plant. And when Gilgamesh he's like, where's my where's my plant? It's gone, right? And he doesn't know what happened until as he continues his journey home he finds the snake, right? And it's shedding its skin and it's a teeny tiny snake now. So he knows that The plan did work; it fucking worked. But obviously, it
1: it doesn't have it
0: anymore. (laughs) Uh, And who knows? Maybe that snake made went ahead to do great things, like whisper to Eve. Who knows, right? Um, But uh, yeah, butterfly effect. So Gilgamesh is defeated. You know, everything he's tried has failed. He's not gonna avenge Inquisito. He's not gonna get to spit in the face of the gods. He's lost. So he travels home to the city of Uruk, a defeated man, right? Until he gets to Uruk, when he sees the walls of this beautiful, splendorous city, he just has an epiphany. He just realizes this is my vengeance. These walls, this huge piece of civilization it's going to stay here long, long after the, I died and the gods have claimed me. But this is still going to stand here. My legacy, my vengeance against the gods is civilization.
1: Yeah, the glory of man.
0: Yeah. So uh, our, our, our way to defeat the gods, our, our gateway to immortality is through the works we create that like through our legacy, through the works we created that are passed on, our cities, our culture, movies, music, whatever, our poems, Gilgamesh's poem is part of his legacy. The city of San Francisco, part of his legacy. (laughs) Father, most of the people who made that I'm sure are dead. That's a little weird. But yeah, it's part of his legacy. Anything that lasts beyond a lifetime is part of Gilgamesh's legacy. Any lasting works of civilization or culture is our gateway to immortality.
1: Right. Because and he, I think since he's the lightning rod. He's the symbolism for that. It, yeah. it, it all is a reflection of him. Like the Great Wall of China. The, yeah. Um, the the freaking, it's the President's Memorial, Montana, whatever that's called. <laughs> How am I forgetting the name? Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Good God. thank You're you. You're the American. I know. <laughs> Thank you, Norwegian friend, for telling me that my
0: landmarks gone. Yeah, but I think that's just—it's just one of my favorite stories because it's just such a beautiful sentiment. It's what? that anything that we leave behind—it's—it's—it's it's, it's our gateway to immortality. You know, yeah, like we—we we can be remembered. Leonardo da Vinci painted paintings and did whatever. You know, he—he he painted the Mona Lisa. And he's still a household name today. He's still as alive today, more alive today than he was back then to us. Oh, sure. If I heard about uh, Leonardo da Vinci back then, right? I'm living in Norway. uh, My tribe of savages have heard about this man. Uh, Then um, I I would be like, oh, okay, that's a guy. But now I know so much about him compared to what I would have. He's he's really much more, he's much closer to me than the man who lives on the other side of that mountain who is geographically closer to me. Right. He's more alive to me than most people that I don't know personally.
1: And someone like Da Vinci, there, or Gilgamesh, someone people like those, they their their life after death builds momentum like. There's that movie that came out recently, Loving Vincent, and it's told entirely through impressionist paintings. The whole movie, it was painstakingly made by hundreds of artists creating this movie in, impression, in an impressionist style. And I don't know if it's on Hulu or, or Netflix, I know I have access to it, but um, Loving Vincent is the culmination of hundreds of years of respect for this man and the goal of dozens and dozens of artists working fervently to keep his dream alive. And that's just one way that his legacy lives on. And mm. to, to crouch a person in their legacy is to say that butterfly effect, that, that, that the, the, the impact that you may have in your lifetime continues to ripple outward, unless you're someone like Lord Byron, who was very famous in his time, but then his fame shriveled up and his impact lessened over time. Um, but obviously that's not what has happened with someone like Leonardo da Vinci or Gilgamesh.
0: No. And even Byron, he's still alive today. Like we know about him.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. He's still alive today. He's, he's more alive today than I'll be 20 years after I'm dead. Hey,
0: come on, give yourself some credit. You're a good writer.
1: 21 years. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> No I
0: just think that's such a it's such a beautiful story, and you know the the city of Uruk right his city it still stands today, like it's a ruin, but it's it's not dirt, you can see it, you can visit it well, that's even I'm more
1: to do this as a podcast because when you sent me those pictures, yeah, I mean, some of these ziggurats they look like they were built fifty years ago, not thousands yeah. and thousands. <laughs>
0: I mean, I mean, Uruk looks pretty down, but the city of Ur, now that city is magnificent and it still is magnificent. The stairs, like you you saw those pictures, right? Those teeny little things, those are windows. It's a massive temple city.
1: Yeah. And you, and you know, the concrete stairs that were poured from my house were poured in like 95. I had to have them replaced a few years ago because they didn't last.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. See that, 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 that is not Gilgamesh's legacy.
1: Oh, no, it's not. They
0: don't offend the gods. I think the gods are very happy with your concrete stairs.
1: Yeah, they, they, well, they know that I'm going to perish back into the dirt. Yeah, yeah, the house. gods are like, yeah, our due is
0: secure with this house
1: right i'm not making i'm not making a a broad menagerie of greco-roman gods nervous (laughs) no (laughs) i should say assyrian and mesopotamian gods because this is Uh, it's it's
0: all gods i'm sure they just switch identity every now and then to keep things interesting
1: yeah well and that you know I, i what i thought was so interesting is that like if you're if you're a biblical person you're like okay well the bible operates in its own vacuum but if you study the bible as a piece as a literary tradition created by men you you don't think that you know god literally wrote the bible there are so many parallels to the epic of gilgamesh you can see them pulling ideas out of gilgamesh like even gilgamesh parallels god in the sense that up to Enkidu's death he's essentially the god of the old testament because the, old, the God of the Old Testament was vengeful. Uh, he, he, he liked punishment. He liked to, he was insecure. He liked to enact on his base desires. He liked to prove himself. Yeah. Whereas Gil, Gilgamesh, old Gilgamesh, as we know him pre-Enkidu, was raping women. Um, he was, the, the whole Braveheart pre thing, he did that. Like, he was a, he was a f- straight up douchebag. Yeah. Yeah. He, he would yeah. take women on the night of their wedding, their, their wedding night, sleep with them and give them back to the husbands. And, and so it was, it was part like, part of it was definitely like how he was, he felt he was a God in his city, you know, and he, he was young and he was impulsive and the gods were threatened by him, but he also treated his citizens like crap and they were praying for help. <laughs> Because he was true Yeah, I mean, the, God.
0: God, the gods wanting to smack him down didn't happen out of a vacuum. Right, right. He, 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 he had earned it.
1: Yes. But he changed. He changed through the power of friendship. Right. And post-Enkidu is like God post-Jesus. New Testament God. You know, where... He, Enkidu,
0: is, uh, Enkidu is God's... Uh, Gilgamesh is Jesus.
1: Maybe, yeah could be
0: yeah, his sacrifice changed everything
1: yeah um yeah except for the except for the imperfection thing which um yeah i mean but that's it's true like yeah, that's
0: just lazy writing on half of the half of the
1: christians <laughs> i, bl- I blame paul and the other new testament writers
0: <laughs> yeah i think i feel like that because that's the thing right gilgamesh is as far as we know the original story right yeah and then you always have like some fans who write like fan fiction And their little OC characters, you know, their original characters are always these Mary Sue characters that can do no wrong. And that's basically Paul and those apostles. Right. They're writing fan fiction and they did like, well, my guy, he's not bad. He's actually perfect in every possible way. And he's well liked and he's popular and he's cool. and Yeah. You know, it's lazy (laughs)
1: writers. And then if if you say, well, you know, they they don't have flaws. They're like, "Whoa, whoa, wait a second. Matthew was a tax collector, but once he started following Jesus, he was perfect. <laughs> so that's <Yeah>. character development.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's great character development. Uh, you could really tell why he changed.
1: Right. Actually, it, I'm know, not
0: going to shit too much on the Bible because I haven't read that in details that much. So who knows? Maybe Matthew has a whole arc.
1: He he doesn't really, but it's okay. Um, he so one of the things when I was reading uh, when you were telling me about. Uh, I I have read the Bible a couple of times. I used to I used to be like my parents weren't religious, but one of my neighbors was. He was a Baptist, and he gave me a Bible, and and I read it, and then I started going to church with him. So I I, I spent a a time like late elementary school and middle school where I felt devout. And when you were telling me about him Gilgamesh wrestling with Enkidu all night, it reminded me of Jacob, because. Yeah. Uh, Jacob, well, actually, I pulled up the, I pulled up the quote. It's Genesis thirty I'm going to read it. Um, it goes, he took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone and a man came to him and wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans, and you have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask me my name? And that is there he blessed him. Jacob called the place Saying, "For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved." So, wow! What a dick! God is such a cheap shot.
0: (laughs) So you see a guy who's alone on the road. You see a guy who's alone on the road, and you're like, "Well, I'm gonna wrestle him." Yeah, yeah. I'm the father of the universe. I'm gonna fucking wrestle this slow, like fucking lonely guy on the road. And then it's like, "Oh, I'm losing. I'm losing." Okay. Yeah, let me sucker punch you in the hip, and then go, can I go now? No, you sucker punch. Okay, how about a blessing? Okay, and it's like what kind of exchange is this? What's Jesus that? Christ! But
1: yeah, no, I, I, there, there's a lot of ultimate testament God actions that are pretty suspect. But that, that story is, is, is. Basically, Gilgamesh wrestling in Kidu because he, the goddess, tested I Gilgamesh.
0: Gilgamesh wrestling in Kidu wasn't such a fucking dirty fight.
1: No, no, it like, was no. <laughs> God, you have so many advantages and you fight dirty. What the fuck? I'm surprised he didn't send more angels to just start hitting him over the head with flaming. Yeah,
0: like you hold him down. <laughs> you know gabriel and the fucking lucifer flies down or flies up in lucifer's case and just holds jacob down well fucking god kicks him in the nads <laughs> and we not hold it above him not from this story <laughs> yeah no that's you guys chilling alone on the side of the road and you just assault him and then when you lose you cheap shot him
1: <laughs> i love that prof- did you ever see that professor brothers skit where uh they, they talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. It's another Genesis story. That's pretty crazy.
0: No, I, I'm, I'm slightly familiar with the story though, but I haven't seen this yet.
1: I, I'll send you this for, for listeners. You should listen to, it's called the professor brothers. I think it's called Bible history one. It's on YouTube.
0: You know what? Let's put a link to that in the description for whatever we host this on.
1: Yes. Yes. We will do. We will put, yeah. we will put the, the link to it, but it's, it's, yeah. it's another Genesis story. And he obviously is, is <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a retelling of what happened according to the Bible, and it's, a, it's very funny. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there are a lot of parallels to the Gilgamesh story, uh, like, you know, the snake. The snake being this person who takes away, because in the Bible, the snake comes to Adam and Eve and convinces them to eat from the fruit of knowledge, And then they are kicked out of the Garden of Eden, Eden being a safe place uh, where their immortality is implied. You know, maybe they're not immortal, but because they're ignorant, the idea is that even if they do die in Eden, that they will die without the knowledge of death, that they don't have to spend their lives fearing death. Yeah,
0: it's like, it's fine. Death doesn't really matter. It's not, it doesn't phase into their life.
1: Right. And with Gilgamesh, he also has a snake robbing him of forcing him to existentially confront his own mortality. Yeah, I feel like uh,
0: snakes, uh, they must have had like a real crime problem with snakes back in the old ages. (laughs) Snakes seem to be doing all sorts of stuff, leading people astray and robbing you in the middle of the night and all sorts of stuff.
1: (laughs) And becoming teenagers again. It's because they want that youth.
0: Yeah, they want that youth, and they 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 want to wreck marriages, and they're they're basically like Californication.
1: <laughs> you know, one reason I don't want to be a teenager again is because I wouldn't get any of the references. You know, I was <laughs> I was listening to yeah. a Bill Burr skit where he's talking about how he tried, he had to do a a, a stand up routine around some teenagers for whatever reason, and and he <laughs> he tried listening to like dubstep music or something like wave synth or whatever and and he's like i lasted 90 seconds (laughs) (laughs) i could only make it 90 seconds could you imagine being like one of those like hipster teenagers where you're like oh man i only like you know the rolling stones they don't make music like that today you know the people that would like defy santana and stuff when we were kids
0: yeah yeah
1: (laughs) that's who i would be if i became a teenager again
0: yeah, I feel like I feel like I would do that too. I would like buy a like a vinyl record player and I would be like really, really like, oh this is so much better. The sound is so much warmer. <laughs> right. I mean I'm kinda of like that already. So I, I I would hate to think what I would be like that if it was like an unfeathered teenager.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Still trying to convince people that like, you know, the the, the, the Super Nintendo Zelda is better than Breath of the Wild. It's not but the nostalgia no, I, 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 ocarina
0: ocarina time is fucking
1: great man ocarina of time is spectacular
0: 64 but that is that is like that that's so good
1: but breath of the wild is the next generation benchmark like that is a that is a objectively fantastic game for so many reasons
0: yeah like the next generation of kids they're, they're going to be like oh yeah i remember back in the day like uh, breath of the wild like that's the high quality you know that's kind of I sometimes think about that, is that actually going to be a thing in the future? because um, that's always a thing, but now games I feel like games don't have as much of an impact because they're kind of like a you have them for a week and then you move on to the next game. Games were kind of like there were more games before, like PlayStation Two. They were spitting them out every, like so ever so often, right Anyone anyone who had like a computer could make a game and sell it right but you couldn't anyone you couldn't buy games as mu- as much back then. So you like you had your collection and you were like, these are my favorite games, because I have to play these all the time, play them through. You couldn't you couldn't have consumed them at the rate people consume games now.
1: I think I think it's a mix of things. I think there's truth in that. Like, you know, there's it's kind of like how there used to be channels like three, five, and nine, and you only got your news from one of those three channels, and you only watch TV on one of those three channels. But then like these
0: days people only get their news from one channel, usually it's, it's gotten worse.
1: Well, in, in yeah, well, point, but the the, the sources, there, there were less sources of information then, and there were less sources of games, but at the same time, there's, I think there's always going to be uh, media that defines a generation, like, like, Minecraft defined kids growing up in, like, the late 2000s up to, like, 2010, you know, and then oh, it
0: must have been after 2010 though since Minecraft didn't come out until after that.
1: Okay, then I have my dates totally wrong. But um, when did Minecraft come out? Let us find out because that is... like,
0: I think it, I think they sent out like the beta in 2010 and then it was released in 11 or something. Like that.
1: It's it's hard. Yeah, man, 2011. So, okay, early early 2010s is Minecraft, but then what's the second half of the 2010s is Fortnite, you know. So, yeah, that's
0: true. Like Fortnite, the last three years, Fortnite's been like
1: very big, right. And then, then after Fortnite, Fortnite had some overlap with Overwatch, but
0: well, Overwatch was a little before Fortnite.
1: Man, I don't know. Kids yeah. these days get off my lawn. I don't know. What? <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I obviously can't keep it straight because those aren't the games of my generation. But I think, I think that those games are the ones that will unify people later. That they're gonna look back and say, "Oh man, remember Fortnite? I can't believe." People are exactly. playing this game called Blowhard, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah. Minecraft and Fortnite especially, there's so much merch about them, you know? Yeah. Like, they're, it's, they, they almost rival lifestyles.
1: Well, and, and their demographic targeted younger people, you know what I mean? Like
0: Yeah, when you're in that formative age where, like, an experience is, like, everlasting. Like, yeah. You're always going to look back and remember that. You're, like, on your wedding night and you're thinking about Fortnite. I remember that game. it's such a shame to close the servers you know you know it, it's
1: you get you have kids like with my kids i i feel a compulsion to show them games that i grew up with and, and they accept it sometimes sometimes they're just like dad i'm not playing this and that's fine like they can, they can choose whatever they want um and, and evelyn came home <laughs> one day you and know, said i'm
0: gonna disown you and you're out of the will <laughs> <laughs> and choose whatever you want as in Can not may
1: you can choose whatever you want, but you can also choose to live here after 16 or not. Otherwise, find yourself an apartment and a job. Uh, You
0: have to live up until 16 in the shed and then you're out.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, Ocarina of Time looks a lot better now, doesn't it?
1: (laughs) Actually. You know, my, my daughter's two favorite games are Ocarina of Time and Minecraft. Minecraft nine. is really big when she was a kid and she started playing that when she was three. When she was a kid? She's nine. Well, <laughs> she, started, she started playing it as a three-year-old, which was 2014. So, Your kid is really cool. <laughs> well,
0: thank you. I think so, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you should think so. You would think so. I do. But, but yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, 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 she's genuinely cool. I,
1: well, I wish having I met other parents, I've learned it's possible to not think so.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. But, I mean, parents who don't like their kids. I like, I feel like that's just the, the they were just too cheap to buy condoms. I think. <laughs> I think that's it. I, I, I don't genuinely think, I think a lot of people have kids and they don't really want kids. Oh yeah. They just go with emotions or they, there's, You know, they're like, oh, well, uh, I don't know. Abortion seems so, it doesn't seem right. My granddad used to yell at the TV about that,
1: you know. (laughs) My my stepdad used to beat me in. So, you know, but I turned out fine. So it's good for them. Yeah,
0: it's always, I turned out fine. No, you didn't. You think beating kids is good. You didn't turn out fine at all.
1: You're a fucking example of why you shouldn't be beating kids. Right. Look at you. And I've met those people too. It's crazy. And the thing is, it's like you, you talk to them and you're like, wait a second. Should I report them? Like what? what, is, <laughs> what <is> my...
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm going to keep an eye on you. You know, who Here, had... have this teddy bear. Don't worry about the beeping. eye.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, who had kids and regretted it. The gods had Enkidu and regretted it. And, Oh, we went full circle. That's full solid. circle. I brought it back. I did it.
0: Oh, that's, that's good.
1: <laughs>
0: anti digression right there.
1: Oh, I was solid. <laughs> so one of the things that I, I loved about Enkidu, okay. Like, and, and one of the things that personalizes this story for you, for, for, for me is that you get to see an inner interplay between Mesopotamian culture or Assyrian culture, I should say. I don't, I'm assuming it's also in Mesopotamia. I don't know. this That's how little it, my knowledge it, is about it, it,
0: it, is, it is Mesopotamian. I think Assyrian is just kind of like a... That, that's the name of the language. And okay. Or maybe like the ethnicity or something. But uh, Mesopotamia is like the empire where all these cities were in.
1: Yeah. Okay, so Enkidu was made out of like clay. Like they, they made him this earthy, bestial, like r- this monstrous thing. Thing they wanted him to be a challenge for Gilgamesh, who was by all accounts a fearsome dude, and you know yeah,
0: you don't get to fuck everyone in your city's wife and stay alive if you're not a fearsome dude.
1: (laughs) Yeah, people are going to come after you; they're going to be resentful. So he, so Enkidu was was he grew up on the steps, you know, and he's described uh, as having a woman's hair, which I find interesting because that means that there was a that hair even then forty one hundred years ago. Uh, was st- hair still represented gender, you know what i mean i think that 's a neat little thing, but I think and, he's always done that i know it's it's it 's crazy um so and, and keto' running around the steps and, and and growing up and becoming strong and all this and the the gods are assuming that he 's going to win, but they fight they then they become friends and what what really i i think in in I agree like I don't understand why the gods didn't just smite Gilgamesh with a with a disease instead but with Enkidu what, what what really annoyed them was that they they so they started going on these adventures together and one of the adventures they went on was fighting this beast named Humbaba and Humbaba had these seven auras and he was like this magical extra powerful monster but Gilgamesh and Enkidu being monsters themselves they uh uh, took him down, and Humbaba starts pleading for his life, and Humbaba was a vessel for the gods of sorts, or at least he's interpreted that way, partially because of his auras, and-, and, and
0: It's like an avatar to them. Yes,
1: yeah, 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 because he, he channeled multiple gods, that's what his multiple auras were, you know, assumed to be, so he pleads for his life, but what Enkidu did, the critical mistake he made, was he encouraged Gilgamesh to kill Humbaba anyway, despite his pleas uh, and that's that's what got him and so
0: okay that's the, that's the full betrayal right there
1: right so gilgamesh was went, seen as a person who was always defiant whereas enkidu was made to to be an avatar for the also another avatar for the gods since they keep making these monstrous things but he and was, they don't they now don't learn No, he was supposed to exact their will. And Enkidu had been humanized. And he had been humanized through prostitutes.
0: (laughs) Uh, Oh, they do that to (laughs) you.
1: Oh, well, you know, they they did it to Enkidu. Enkidu showed up. And Gilgamesh was the most considered, one of the most manly men because of all these women he slept with. But it, it didn't have meaning. It undermined... His right as 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 a ruler it wasn't until uh, Gilgamesh spurned the advances of a goddess that made him more godlike uh, ishtar ishtar yeah that's right that's yeah, her name really ishtar.
0: Pissy. she is the goddess of fertility
1: yeah <laughs> she was not she was not happy and get, that was also a sign that Gilgamesh was transforming into a better person because now he wasn't, you know, raping women, but he was also because it, it wasn't even raping them, <laughs> he was even saying no. <sighs> <laughs> right.
0: So, you, you, you know, you've done a transformation when you go from raping people and fucking other men's wives to saying no to the goddess of love, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. So, his okay. transformation was shown through sex. But Enkidu's transformation is also thrown shown through sex because she showed, Enkidu shows up to the city, and uh, he meets this this uh, prostitute named uh, Shamhat or Shamshat, something like that, uh, something like that. Uh, it rhymes, and he sleeps with her, and it, it's for days. Like he has sex with her for days,
0: and, and he's a beast man. So you know he's going to get his money' worth.
1: Right, well, and, and he, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't had sex before, so he's like, oh, this is great, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to yeah. do this for as long as possible.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, she must be impressed though, that must be like the best first-timer she ever had.
1: Uh, you know, I, I, unfortunately it doesn't give her point of view, but she does, <laughs> she does accept him. <laughs> I mean,
0: she's fucking him for days.
1: Yeah, she, yeah. It must gotta be. got to
0: be something that keeps her from going, going out, at least having breakfast.
1: Right, I mean, the mo- the money might be good. Who knows?
0: <laughs> he just got out of the forest. Right. Uh, there's, there's. there's I, I don't think she's the gold digging Enkidu, the beast man.
1: She she and Enkidu checks you know off her loincloth box that. <laughs> so he starts becoming humanized through sex. And, and earthly pleasures, where as Gilgamesh becomes more godlike by denying them. And so with, by the time they meet Humbaba, Enkidu has become human enough that he also has the negative aspects of humanity, which is yeah. like pettiness and wrath and, and glee at seeing something else harmed, you know, treating also, someone else as an enemy.
0: Opportunism, you know, he just got this other avatar down and now he's like, finish him finish him. Right.
1: Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's just glad Gilgamesh didn't kill him. And now he's like living vicariously. <laughs> yeah. Kind
0: of like, okay, okay. This guy's tough. I want to see what kind of damage he can do to this uh, magnificent aura
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in, in, in at this point in the story, like, you know, Gilgamesh kills him, then Enkidu dies. And then Gilgamesh, that's when Gilgamesh totally completely, he becomes a good quote-unquote good person it, I, I, I you know by modern standards he's still not a good person because you know a serial rapist and abuser of the people is never going to be respected but at least in no, terms it's of, like it's, it's 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 a redemption story you know yes like a,
0: a serial rapist is not going to be a great guy but he can still do some nice stuff i think
1: yes and he, and he feels yeah. deep like, feelings he for another be human being or
0: avenge the gods i don't know
1: Right. Yeah. Like Harvey Weinstein is just going
0: out to defeat the gods. I th- I, th- I still think I would dislike him. But uh I, you know. <laughs> you would you would have another association with his name.
1: Seeing Harvey Weinstein if he could defeat a god, I would have undue respect for him because I don't think that man can.
0: but well, yeah, it is undue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he got that fucking, fucking uh, what was it called? The, the walking chair thing old people have with tennis balls at the end of it <laughs> for walking into court. Like, you've had that shit-eating grin uh, looking like King of the Hill on every picture in the history of you up until the court date. Now suddenly you're sickly old Bill Cosby.
1: <laughs> and that's the difference between Gilgamesh and, and Weinstein and Cosby, is that Gilgamesh has empathy. You know, like when... No. When, uh, when 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 Ankito dies, he doesn't just grieve. I mean, he sobs for days. He keeps the court corpse around so long that maggots start falling out of his nose. Like th- his body begins deteriorating before he can even bring himself to go about the burial process.
0: Yeah, it's it's fucking tragic.
1: Yeah. And, and from that point on, that's when he becomes, I mean, he becomes obsessed with his own mortality after that point, but by the same token, he learns what he starts to see what the, the impact of his actions on other people, which up to that point, he obviously didn't care. I love
0: this story so much because it is the oldest story we have. And it's, it's so Kind of like it's it's just so human, yeah. It's so much about emotion and the nitty gritty details of what being a person is like, yeah. You know, I and I, I love all the the the, the you know the, the Greek classics too, but they just feel kind of shallow compared to this. Like they they have a lot of stuff to teach us too, but they they're more like grand scheme of things. This is yeah. just a human drama.
1: Sure, like, like I...
0: a epic would be a great movie.
1: I don't remember Hercules crying. I do remember Hercules trying to satisfy twelve trials and him going off and slaying yeah, monsters. Well, I
0: mean, yeah, he was just—he was—he uh, was driven mad by uh, Hera, and uh, then he slaughtered his kids and his wife Megara, and uh, <laughs> then he had to do the uh, twelve trials to redeem himself. He yeah. was—I I mean, I, I think it's described that he was sorrowful about it, but nothing more like you know he wasn't holding his dead kids until uh you know they were rotting and actually he went on to kill more of his kids later after the trials when he had new kids oh i didn't even know that <laughs> oh yeah yeah, hercules had an anger problem
1: i think all those old guys did I feel like. uh, yeah they did they
0: did hercules is like uh he's like the epitome of uh macho basically
1: even was, Aristophanes wrote like, you know, the birds and so Like he had comedic plays and th- and they were filled with angry people. <laughs> I think
0: all the Greeks were they're really pissy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Maybe their bath water was democracy. gross all the time. So,
0: invented democracy and then you have to listen to other what other people have to say. It's gonna make you pissy. They,
1: they also look, invented the downfall of democracy.
0: <laughs> well yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it it is it is it's just look at today. You know, look at the the heat between uh, the 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 liberals and the Trumpsters, right? Yeah. No, it's not a good mood. No. It's definitely not going to be a good mood now that uh, old old, old Ginsburg. Oh God, Ginsburg. Now, it's going to be a rough ride.
1: Well, and and if if heroes are born in the the, I don't want to say Trump age, but you know, if heroes are born today, it's going to be because the climate is so angry that it produced people to go on, that they're angry enough to go do something about it. You know what I mean? Like, you're not, you're not like, Oh, a Supreme court vacancy that's up for grabs and is going to be highly contested. This makes me feel joyful. And then you like, you know, go yeah. off and pick it like nobody, nobody happily pickets.
0: Yeah. It's going to be like the, 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 the epic of uh, fucking, uh, jackson or something it's <laughs> gonna be in the new tale yes yes some guy just goes okay well i want this seat right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah gotta commit all the trials and uh, go to the bottom of the ocean to find a plant that uh, gives you uh, extra votes for the supreme court
1: right right oh yeah no, uh,
0: you could no, possibly do that you just roofie donald trump and have him pick you <laughs> Plant.
1: <laughs> I think I think all that like Adderall and stuff that he's on all the time is probably gonna offset it anyway. I don't think you can roofie him. Is... No, <laughs>
0: you might you might just give him more powers. <laughs> right. You need elephant
1: tranquilizers. Yeah. Sneak him that into gets his him, Big Macs.
0: Get <laughs> him down to normal.
1: <laughs> you won't have empathy still, but he'll be able to he'll, he'll interact with you like a normal human being.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'll it, talk to you instead of over you. <laughs> Won't be nice.
1: (laughs) I'll be to you. Uh well that was that was good. Um I think this is a good place to wrap it up. Um
0: I actually want to add one more thing before we wrap.
1: Oh, please, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah.
0: Because uh one of my favorite ancient cities is the city of Ur, right? That's that that was the capital. Uh, I mean they each had their own king, but if the Mesopotamian city-states had like they had uh a capital city, it would be Ur. Because that was the temple city dedicated to what basically amounts to humanity's first god, Sin. And Sin was uh, basically the moon. It was the father of the sun and a bunch of other gods too. Uh, And uh, the city of Ur was a temple city dedicated to Sin. Each city was a dedication to Pantheon, like a member of the Pantheon of the like uh, Mesopotamian, Sumerian, uh, Assyrian uh, gods, but th- this city was like the main city, and this is so long ago. The city was a coastal city, but now it is way inland in Iraq because uh. the tectonic plates have shifted. It's that long ago. That's so cool. It's insane. <laughs> uh, and that temple, the Temple of Ur, like the ziggurat of Ur. It's still standing today, and it looks almost pristine. It's uh, insane.
1: It's, yeah, you it's send me that things. ziggurat. That ziggurat looks amazing. Yeah, it's it's it's
0: in much better condition than the pyramids.
1: Yeah, we'll have, we'll have a we'll have a link to that a picture of the ziggurat too. Or, oh, or, definitely, definitely. Send and it to the podcast. In the third dynasty
0: of Ur, in the third dynasty of Ur, which is like, I don't know, like two thousand BC or something like that. You know. Uh, then it kind of like Because the city of Uruk Gilgamesh's city had fallen into disrepair At that point But it was revived In the third dynasty of Ur uh, As a sister city To Ur Where uh, Uruk would also Be a second temple city To the god Sin oh. So I think just that's just beautiful Because that's so long after Gilgamesh You know after Gilgamesh died, it's like seven hundred years or something after Gilgamesh died, and his city, his his like his legacy was revived and just brought back into the fold. And it kind of it it was like the ruler of the Mesopotamian quote mark empire was Ur, but Uruk was a very important religious and political entity in this. It was like a queen to the king of Ur, you know.
1: Yeah. Right. So
0: it's just his legacy was kind of like revived through the third dynasty of error which I, I absolutely love. I think that's really cool.
1: That's insane. That, that, is, that is very cool. It's like, yo, you think Shakespeare's old. <laughs> you think. Jesus? <Shakespeare's> yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: now we can wrap it up.
1: <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, uh, this, this episode has been brought to you by Bertha McGurth's Ultra Wide Mirrors. Do you need extra motivation to help maintain a diet? Is your therapist demanding you work on your runaway narcissism? Do you wish you could see what your nose looked like if, the nost- if your nostrils were double the size? If so, check out Bertha McGurth's Ultra Wide Mirrors. Unlike clothing store mirrors, these are guaranteed to make you feel insecure. Bertha McGurth's Ultra Wide Mirrors reflect positively on your fuller side. <laughs> All right. Now that we got our sponsors out of the way, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Uh,
0: well, I mean, that, that is wrapping up. We have wrapped it up. We have. Yes, we have. All right. (laughs) Bye. Okay. Goodbye, fellow humans.